Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Give her a big hand. Thank you. It's wonderful to see new faces and to see the church family growing here. And uh, I was really touched when you were just praying for these little ones. And I was reminded this is what it's all about, you know, growing families, growing as a church family. And you guys just look really beautiful to me today. So well done for being beautiful. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, I want to start today by sharing with you a dream that I had at the end of last year that really was the dream of the Lord, uh, and it was a message for the body of Christ. And uh, in this dream, I was back in the UK, in England, and I was sharing with some of my family, and I was talking to them about Prince William, who is the heir to the throne. Do we have any uh, royal enthusiasts here? Come on, there's got to be a few of you, right? Who watched the royal wedding? Oh my goodness. I had such an epiphany on that day because I don't know if some of you have seen this, but there's a photograph of Meghan Markle um, sitting on the wall outside of Buckingham Palace when she was 15 years old. And I thought, what providence. That little 15-year-old girl, did she ever dream that one day she'd be living in that palace? married to the second in line to the throne of England. And to me, it was such a reminder of, you know, our story as the bride of Christ, that all of us have a destiny that's way beyond what we can imagine, uh, a royal destiny. Amen? So in this dream, I was telling my um, family in England uh, some stories about Prince William and Princess Kate, And as I began to share, I, in the dream, felt that I knew them in real life. Like, they were my friends, my acquaintances. So I was telling stories about them. And the dream seemed to go on and on for a long time. And at some point during the dream, I began to think to myself, oh, no, what if I don't really know them? What if if I just read a whole bunch of biographies about them? And in real life... I do really like the royal family, and I happened to go to school in real life with the queen's cousin's daughters. So I had a little bit of maybe knowledge of the royal family, just even from that angle. And in the dream, it's occurring to me, what if I'm I'm making this up? And by the end of the dream, it fully landed on me that in fact, I didn't know them at all. And if I went to Buckingham Palace and knocked on the door, that they would say, who are you? And I knew a lot about them, but I'd never actually met them, and they weren't my friends. And I woke up out of this dream, and I thought, what a funny dream, and I just kind of put it aside. And day after day, and I'm talking, it took two weeks. Every day, this dream was just haunting me. And finally, I sat down, and I said, Lord, are you speaking to me? And this is what he said, and you'll know this from Matthew 7. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus talking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. And I have read that scripture for years and thought, how is it possible that somebody could come across that much as a Christian, doing the stuff, acting like a Christian, doing ministry kind of things, and that Jesus would say to that person, but we didn't really know each other. And then I thought of something when I was um, about 13 years old uh, and younger, around that age, um, I had a friend who was a few years older than me. Now, ladies, do you remember what it is to be about 12 or 13 and have a friend that's a couple of years older and just be completely, like they are your world. You're just infatuated with the coolest, most fashionable, most, you know, you just want to be like this person. And I remember she was the mega Michael Jackson fan. Like back in the days when you'd put posters on your walls with the little pins, right? And her, her entire walls, every single part of the walls was covered with Michael Jackson. Even the ceiling had Michael Jackson. And she had stacks of books. And I remember sitting on her bed and being completely transfixed. And she would tell me about, well, you know, Michael didn't really bleach his skin. It was just some condition he had. And, you know, there's a thing with the nose. He didn't really mean it to turn out like that. And she knew all these things about what he really felt and he really thought. And I was transfixed. But do you know she had never met Michael Jackson? She had a lot of knowledge about Michael Jackson. But she didn't know him. There's a difference between having knowledge and knowing somebody. And knowledge is a really funny thing. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. And I've noticed that, haven't you? Like if you know that you know more than s about something than someone else does, it's kind of like, oh, oh yes, yes, I know that. But actually, as well as that, you know, in 1475, this happened to, oh yes, yes. Well, actually, um, that's wrong what you just said because the real facts are, I love it when I get to do that. It's like the knowledge slam dunk, you know, that puffs up, right? And we can posture with other people because we, we know more than they do. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And sometimes we can even take our knowledge of God, the things we've read about him, and the stories that we hear from other people, and they can satisfy our sense of duty as Christians that we know that we should know about him. But that's not the same as knowing him. I remember about five years ago, I was in the UK, and um, I was in Liverpool all by myself without Scott and without the kids, which was really unusual. And I was walking around this city where I'd grown up, and I had walked around as a teenager, and there was a, a store that I really, really like, and it's a very expensive store, and I went in there, and I was like, running my hands along the garments and like holding them up to my face and, and thinking which body part could I sell on the black market in order to obtain said garments. You know, it's really expensive store. And I just 
this thought went through my mind as I was walking around the store. And the thought was, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if somebody said to me, you can just have whatever you want. Have you ever daydreamed that in a store? It was just a little daydream. And so I walked out of the store and I got about two minutes down the road and my phone rang and it was my dad calling. And he said to me, well, honey, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were in Liverpool today. Your mum just told me and I'm on my way to London. And I would have met you for lunch if I'd known you were in Liverpool. And I said, Dad, that's fine. I'm waiting to pick my passport up. And he said, well, I've come up with something even better for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, there's a, a guy in Liverpool who owes me a lot of money. And he says, so I telephoned him just now. And he says, and I, I want you to go to such and such a place, a, a landmark, and opposite that landmark is a shop. And I want you to go into the shop, it's a women's fashion store, and you go up to the counter and you ask for somebody called Ravi. And when Ravi comes, you say to him, I'm Peter Quinn's daughter. This started feeling like when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, go to the village and you'll find the cult, and you're thinking, is this even real? Ask for Ravi and tell him you're Peter Quinn's daughter and you can have whatever you want. I was like, two minutes. That's amazing. So I go into the store. I ask for Ravi. Ravi comes out. I say, I'm Peter Quinn's daughter. And he says, oh, just take whatever you want. And so I walked around that store just bedazzled. I was grabbing handbags. I was grabbing tops for friends and skirts for friends. I was grabbing things I didn't even like and I would never even wear one time ever. <laughs> just overcome with this moment. And I walked out of that store and I realized, oh, I don't know the name of the store. So I looked up and the name of the store was called Storm. And as I looked at that name, the father spoke to me and said, I'm very sorry I couldn't arrange a monsoon for you, which was the name of the other shop, but I did arrange you a storm. Whoa. Give Jesus a clap. The point is that I have knowledge based on my reading of scripture and stories that I've heard other people tell that our God is a God who can arrange circumstances and details to perfectly overlap. I have knowledge that God in Psalm 139 is a God who says, I know a word. I know your thought before it even comes out of your mouth. I know that I have a God who, if I ask him for an egg, he won't give me a stone. I, I, I have knowledge of that kind of God. And I've heard other people's stories. But now I have something that you can never take away from me because I know him. Not because of someone else's testimony, but because of my own. And friends, we need to have our own stories you can't live off Bill Johnson's revelation. You can't live on someone else's worship songs all the time. You can't live telling someone else's stories. You need to know for yourself this God who died for you. And we are in charge of that. We have stewardship of this relationship with him.
So how do we know that we know somebody? Well, I used this example first service, and it's so good, I'll just use it again. And it's about Cameron. You see, I don't know how well each of you know Cameron, but I know Cameron pretty well because we've known each other for a long time. And if somebody ever wrote a biography about Cameron, there would be details probably about his childhood and his life and his ministry and all these great church plants he sent out. But I know some things about Cameron that would never make it into that book. I know that if we're in Toronto at a conference and I have lost or forgotten my charger, both of which happen almost every time I'm in Toronto, that Cameron has two or three or four of them because he's a little frightened of being left without a charger. And so I know he's going to have what I need. I know if we're in an important meeting with John Arnott and the apostolic team, that if Cameron is sitting there and suddenly he leans forward in his seat and his hands go on the table and his eyebrows go up, he's really interested and slightly excited about what's happening. But if he leans back and one arm goes across the chair and he lets out a sigh, DEFCON 5 people, he's not happy. I can tell. I worked in this building with Cameron for years. I know by the... The, the various nuances of size and sounds, how he's feeling. Do you know someone like that? That's knowing someone. It's really different from having knowledge of that person. Amen. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know him a little bit, but one day we will know him even as we are fully known. Now we know in part, but one day we will know him even as we are fully known. And friends, one of the steps in this process is that you would understand that he fully knows you and he fully loves you. And Many of us live lives where it's difficult to be known, even by the people who should know us the best. I met recently with a young lady over Skype, and she's not from this church or our church or any other church that would ever listen to this podcast, so I can tell the story. But over the weeks of talking, I asked her permission to offer her an insight that I had from listening to her life. And what I said to her was, it seems to me that you are somebody who maybe the people around you and even your husband see you as a, as a still pond. You know, maybe sometimes there's ripples, but you come across as a very serene person. I said, but as I've been listening to you and and excavating down a little bit into the deeper parts of who you are, I'm noticing there's a lot of turmoil. But I don't think anyone knows that about you. And I think that must be very lonely. And she just went completely quiet. She said, you're absolutely right. And I said, I don't think anyone knows you, but I don't think anyone knows that they don't know you. And she, it, it just settled in. And I said, it can't go on like this. And in our process of walking with him, 
God is so vulnerable himself has become so vulnerable this Jesus who was stripped naked for you in the path of knowing him he begins to say I want to make you like me and if you're going to be like me you need to make an uneasy truce with vulnerability does anyone really know you does anyone really really know you the things that hurt your feelings, that's the worst one. You know, when David and Jonathan made their covenant with each other, it says that Jonathan took off his tunic, he gave David his shield, and then he gave him his sword. I give over my defense mechanisms, and I give you the thing that you could kill me with. I give you the thing that you could hurt me with. And that is an excruciating thing to do. Some people are good at vulnerability. And one thing I realize, I've been like the biggest fraud, honestly, because a lot of people would have said over the years that I'm open and I'm vulnerable. But I've come to realize in the last two years, there was a whole deeper level that was just walled off. And in my journey of knowing him, there is a requirement to become like him. And what I've learned is that that wonderful song that Fraulein Maria (laughs) is sung to, it's sung to her by Mother Superior, Climb Every Mountain. And that song, ever since I was a little girl, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but ever since I was a little girl, that song made me cry. And it's even worse now, just the music starts and I'm like, (laughs) and she says, A dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. And I'm starting to realize that's what this is all about. And you get back out what you invest in. And it's not like God is only wanting you to put your money in the offering. Your life and who you really are begins to become the broken bread for people in your community. Knowing him in the end means becoming like him. And John writes in his letter, we do not know what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him. And, and obviously that's about the resurrection. It's about being like him in form through uh, coming into sharing his likeness in the resurrection. But I think along the way, It's just about becoming more like him. Amen. We just had Isabel with us, and she said something that really shook me to the core. She said, she was talking about revelations. And when I say Isabel, I mean Isabel Allen, who is recognized as a prophetic voice in our network. And of all the sessions that she taught, there is one thing that I I will carry with me for the rest of my life. She was talking about Revelations chapter 3, where Jesus confronts the church of Laodicea. And he says, you're not hot anymore, and you're not cold anymore. Frankly, you're lukewarm. You think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you have fancy clothes, you're naked. And because you're not hot, and because you're not cold, and because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And she said, I have no idea what that means, but I promise you, I will never find out. 
And I thought, amen. So how do we guarantee, how do we grow in knowing him? How, what can we do as Christians, as friends of Jesus, to keep growing in knowing him? Because it's not enough to say, I used to know him. I have a friend, her name was Sophie Miller. She was my first BFF. Do you remember your first BFF? Oh, I loved her so much. And I can shut my eyes right now and I can walk through the front door of her house and I can tell you what color the carpet was in every room. I remember her bedspread. I knew which was her favorite pencil in her pencil collection. I knew where her underwear drawer was. I knew her. I knew the boys she liked at school. I knew that her mother was an alcoholic and I knew how it made her feel when her mother drank. And I lay in her little single bed with her when we were nine years old, hiding from her mother. I knew her. But now, like the song says, she's just somebody that I used to know. And I see her on Facebook. I know her husband passed away. But I don't know if she's still grieving for him, even though she has a new boyfriend. I don't know what keeps her awake at night. I don't know what frightens her anymore. I don't know what she wishes for or hopes her. I simply don't know her anymore. But if I know if I picked up the phone, we could pick up where we started off because we had something together. Friends, don't ever let Jesus become someone you used to know. It is entirely possible to do that. It is entirely possible to rely on the conversations you had with him 10 years ago and to lose your hunger for the fresh bread. My husband rebukes me frequently because we have a dog that is just a professional sad case. And he has mastered the art of looking hungry, nay starving. And when we come around our table to eat, that dog knows who to go to. And he looks up at me with his, you know, gaunt eyes. He's not gaunt at all, but, you know, I look at him. I see every orphan in the world right there begging for food. And I just, I can't help it. Before I know it, my, my hand has gone from the table to his mouth. So I was doing this a lot. And the dog is a smarty pants. He started completely not eating the food, which, by the way, the food that's good for him, we buy him nice dog food. And he just went on a hunger strike. And at one point, Scott said to me, you cannot feed him anymore. You, you promise me, don't feed him anything for five days. And I said, okay, I promise. Well, then I had to stick to it, right? So this dog did not eat for three days and three nights. And he stared me down. And I think I went away, and in the middle of it, I went away and visited one of my friends. Not to escape the dog. It was planned. I'm not that sad. <laughs> and eventually he was overcome, and he started eating his dog food again, and it was all fixed. What I've learned is that many of us as Christians end up with what my husband called hot dog madness. We have no hunger or appetite for the food that we should want, the Word of God, the Bible, because we've become so accustomed to the little tasty treats we get on Netflix and YouTube and, you know, this fancy podcast and the Christian celebs and all their great stories, and we feed and feed, but it, it's not the right food for us. If you are not hungry for the Word, first of all, get real. 
because it's happened to me. And if you want a shortcut, do a seven-day fast, a three-day fast, a one-day fast. Take every fast media, fast food, awaken your hunger. This is necessary to stay alive. This is necessary for your spiritual health. We need to be hungry for the word of God. And if you're not, there's things you can do about it. There is so much to say there, but I seem to have gone off on all kinds of tangents this service. So I'm just going to, you should listen to the first service because I said some great things, you know. But the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. And he clearly says to his followers, if you're ashamed of my word, if you don't like what it says in that book, then when you come before me and my father, I'll be ashamed of you. I have no idea what that means either, but I tell you now, that will never happen to me. Because I decided a long time ago that no matter what this world says, I'm sticking with the word of God. And I'm going to tell you a story that's going to shake you in your boots right now. And some of you will get offended, but you have to listen to the whole story. You promise me? There was a young lady in our church, and she came through the doors of our church coming out of a lesbian lifestyle. And I am telling you, lesbians like me. They just like me. I'm all with the lesbians. I love them. I do because what they want is a mother's touch, and I can give it to them, right? It doesn't bother me. So she came in. I loved on her. I cuddled her. She just couldn't get enough of me. She got the healing. We got her all cleaned up. She was so disgusted with herself when she came in. And two years in, another young lady in our church was around that had also come out of her that lifestyle, and they kind of made friends. And long story short, they kind of ran away together and then announced they were getting married. So this was disappointing. And uh, somewhere in the midst of this, the young lady who I described first contacted me and said, I'm coming into town, can we go for a walk? And I said, of course we can, honey. So we went for a walk, and we went for a long walk. We walked for an hour and a half or something, and she talked, and the thing I said to her, I said, honey, I just want you to tell me one thing. How did you get from the little girl who came into this church and fell into my arms, desperately sick of your lifestyle, to where you are today? That's all I want to know. She just, an hour and a half, every detail of the story, every ounce of emotion, all of it, all of it. And she got to the end. And I waited to see if there was more, because there kept being more, you know. And I turned to her and I said, well, can I be honest with you? She said, Stephanie, that's why I came, because I knew you'd be honest with me. I said, okay. Well, my dear girl, you are a dog that has returned to its vomit. And you have bitten into an apple that has a worm in it. And I don't know how many bites you're going to have to take or how long it's going to take. But when you bite that worm, it is going to be so bitter. It is going to be so bitter, honey. And we were walking right by a bench. I remember I pulled her down next to me and we sat down and I looked in her eyes and I said, but I love you. And I said, and when you are ready, you come to me and I will help you back through. And I took her in my arms 
and this wave of love, because it's holy love, right? Everyone talks about reaching the gay community. It's going to take holy love. It's salt with your mouth, love in your eyes. Acceptance comes through the eyes. Conviction comes through the mouth. And I just, I took her in my arms. I'm telling you this download of holy love, comfort. And she was clinging to me. I felt like I became, you know, the embrace of Jesus to her. And we just sat there for the longest time. I, I thought, this is, wow, this is a holy moment. And then I said, when we got done with that, I said, honey, I, I have to go. I had to be somewhere. And she said to me, well, where are you going? I said, well, I have to go to such and such a place. She said, well, can I come with you? Can I just spend the whole day with you? I just called her a dog, you know. <laughs> but it didn't matter, did it? Because the love of God came and touched her. We need to stand with the word. There's no getting around it. Make your decision. Standing with the word means standing in a pathway where we're going to keep knowing God. We're going to keep knowing him deeper. Friendship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send you another helper and he will testify of me. When the helper comes, he's telling us things about Jesus all the time. And listen, the number one key to just keeping your friendship with the Holy Spirit is stop ignoring him. He's in you. Just say hi to him every morning. Benny Hinn style. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hi, Holy Spirit. We're driving in the car. I love you. Thank you for being with me. It's so great to have you with me all day. Don't grieve him. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, to hurt his feelings. What's the kind of thing that hurts your feelings? If someone ignores you, if somebody says something that they know will offend you, why would they say that when you were in the room? That kind of stuff. I can feel it when I've offended the Holy Spirit. It's a terrible feeling. And I do it, you know, like maybe once a week, maybe more. But we've got a tight connection. Just a couple of weeks ago, one of the girls on staff in our church, Sarah, we were in our staff meeting and everybody was going around giving an idea for something. And she gave her idea and it just struck me as funny. So I made a joke about it. She's kind of my, that's my weak point is my, um, what's the word, macabre sense of humor. So anyway, she, <laughs> and I knew, I just could see her body language go. Boom. And I was like, oh no. So after the staff meeting, I walked into the kitchen and she came right behind me. She said, you really hurt my feelings. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I know. And we had a little come to Jesus meeting in the kitchen. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's like. Sometimes I'm in my kitchen and he comes in after me and says, you hurt my feelings. Well, thank God for the blood of Jesus that reconciles us to the Trinity. Amen. So friendship with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the last one, and I'll finish with this, and there's no getting around this one either, so get ready to suck it up. Um, got all muddled up here now. It's connection with the body of Christ. Our friend Shannon was telling us this story about how his grandmother used to kill chickens and cook them. So I have a video, actually. Just kidding. Did that fair service. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this like southern grandmother would grab the chicken, break its neck, you know, cut it clean off and let go of the chicken. And he said sometimes for like four minutes, the chicken would run around like an intelligent being. 
but it was just all the little nerve endings firing. Ephesians 1 verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head of all things to the church. That word there is ecclesia. It's the religious gathering. This is not you in Starbucks with your Bible and your coffee, right? The, the image there is the image of the synagogue. Colossians 1.18, he is also head of the body, the church, ecclesia, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I know Christians whose conduct, let me say it this way, I know Christians who have been out of church for years, and at first their conduct, like the headless chicken, looks, you know, intelligible, but after a while, I've begun to realize you are very aimless. And I don't think you're connected to the head anymore. I don't know why God designed it this way. If I had a master plan to fill the whole earth with the kingdom of God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't maybe pick this as a strategy. But he did. And being here is good for you, whether you like it or not, one Sunday to the next. Because it exposes you to the life flow that comes from the head through teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, pastors. Thank you. <laughs> I normally do it this way, so I remember all of them. Stay in the Word. Maintain your friendship with the Holy Spirit. Stay connected to the head through meaningfully being connected in the body of Christ. And if you're listening to me today, and there's a little tug in your heart that is saying, yeah, my friendship with Jesus is not as strong as it was at one time, then this really is your day. And there's good news for you because Jesus is, is ready to pick up right where you left off with him. And it's an easy fix. But each one of us will stand before the throne of God. Each one of us will come before the Father. Paul writes, each one of us will stand before the beamer seat and give account for the things that we have done, both good and bad. Now, that's different from the great white throne, the judgment of, you know, saved versus not saved. This is just what we'll all stand before. And as I said earlier, the one thing I know is Jesus is not going to be ashamed of me because I've been ashamed of his word. He's not going to find me a stranger. I'll tell you now, he will not say to me, I never knew you, because I will not go there. And I hope you won't either. Amen. Stand with me. Well, that was an uplifting message. <laughs> we did the Father Heart message last night, so you can get the tape to recover. Tonight we'll prophesy over you all and make you feel good. So, <laughs> In seriousness, this is important stuff, isn't it? So let's lift our hands before the Lord. He knows you better than you know yourself. And sometimes, just like in my dream, we, we think we know him because we have knowledge of him, but that's not the same as knowing him. So just in your heart right now, and, and I'm going to have us all this pray this together, whether you're in this spot or not, you can stand with those of us who are. Just take a moment to evaluate where is your friendship at with Jesus? <laughs>